This is God's holy and infallible word at Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus is continuing to speak in this Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the whole Sermon on the Mount, that is, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. That's God's word for us this morning. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in order to build the tallest skyscraper yet, engineers in the 1960s introduced a dramatic break from nearly a century of skyscraper building tradition. For years, it was thought that uh, the practical limit for tall buildings, it had become about 80 to 85 stories, but the tube frame design made new heights possible. Construction started in 1967 on this attempt to build the tallest skyscraper yet. At construction's peak, no less than 800 tons of structural steel were being raised into the sky each day. And then in 1970 and 71, the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center were completed. They were 110 stories high, and they had a height of 1,360 feet each. Most skyscrapers, 40 stories tall or more since then, use some variation of what engineers call the tube design, including the bundled tube, which is a variation of that design used for the Sears Tower, which when it was completed in 1973, surpassed the height of the World Trade Center Towers, and it would have the title of the world's tallest building for about 25 years. Although the towers were built to withstand up to 150 mile an hour winds, in other words, winds much greater than the New York Harbor ever would have. They were built to withstand that level of wind, 150-mile-an-hour winds. They could not withstand what happened exactly 15 years ago this morning. On that day, uh, Sarah, my wife, and my oldest, baby Olivia, we were living in the Netherlands where I was doing research for my doctorate. Literally, just that morning, we got our TV to work. The first time we turned on the TV, and that would have been in the afternoon in Netherlands time, we turned it on and we thought, why is there this disaster movie on in the middle of the day? But then we quickly realized it was the news. 
Airplanes had crashed into the Twin Towers. Later that day, Dutch neighbors came to our door to offer us their sympathies, knowing we were Americans. What happened on September 11, 2001 was, of course, something designers and engineers could never have imagined or accounted for. The first plane ripped a hole in the North Tower. The second plane, I think that was going at even faster speed, hit the South Tower. Entire floors were wiped out. Thousands of gallons of jet fuel were ignited. Heroes from the fire and police departments and other emergency services helped 25,000 people escape from the site before the South Tower gave way first. It crumbled to the ground at 9.59 a.m., only 56 minutes after being hit. The North Tower collapsed less than a half hour later at 10.28 a.m. Jesus' parable for us today of all days, ends with a building falling with a great crash, we read. Two buildings, two houses are in the parable he tells. One stands, one falls. These buildings, these houses, are to be a picture of our lives And just as there are two gates and two roads, narrow and wide, that we read about, and two destinations, heaven and hell, when it comes down to it, there are two different types of lives, says Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. A wise one and a foolish one. Only the home of the wise builder will stand strong. Anyone who builds their life other than Jesus' way, Jesus says, is a fool and their life will crash. So we want to ask ourselves, what does it look like to build your house on the rock? We don't want to be the fool. We don't want our lives to crash. What does it look like to build your life on the rock. I think we can say a few things from our verses. And the first is this building your life on the rock means you'll want to walk the talk. You'll want to walk the talk. The talk is Jesus' teaching, the walk is living it, obeying it. Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So that's the critical difference between the two builders. Hearing only, that's the foolish person, or hearing And living, that's the wise person. Both people hear Jesus' words. And that tells us that maybe Jesus isn't talking about all us wise people in the church building our lives on the rock versus all those foolish people out there in the world building on no foundation who we piously shake our heads at. It's maybe more a difference between people who 
know Jesus' teaching? Is it possible that sitting in the church could be hearing God's word, could be some who are wise and some who are foolish? Is it possible that not everyone who hears Jesus' word is actually obeying it in their lives? Will some lives crash who have been born and raised in the church and listened to the words of Jesus all their life? Last week we saw that very harsh verse. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, how can that possibly be true? That there are people who profess the name of Jesus, who maybe are singing his praises but are not going to heaven? The point is, it's not enough to sit in church. It's not enough to be on the rolls. It's not enough to profess the name of Jesus, even though it's absolutely essential. It's not enough to know about Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. Even demons, of course, know that, as the Apostle Paul tells us. The key says Jesus in verse 21 of chapter 7 that we read last week, is that we must do the will of the Father. And as Jesus says in our verses, we're called to hear Jesus' words and put them into practice, live them. John Stott, he's a great Bible teacher, he says it's not about whether we say nice, polite, correct, enthusiastic things to or about Jesus, nor whether we hear his words, listening, studying, pondering, and memorizing until our minds are stuffed with his teaching, but whether we do what we say and do what we know. In other words, whether the lordship of Jesus, which we profess, is one of our life's major realities. Jesus, he wants us to live for him, for his sake and for the stability of our lives. That's what building our lives on the rock is about. Our walk must match up with the talk. The talk is Jesus' teaching. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are doing a lot of talking. They're in the headlines every day. It's getting more than a little old, frankly. Would you agree? We evaluate their talk as voters and as good citizens, we think about whether we agree with what, we, what they say. And then we also ask, because sadly, this is a big concern with leaders in our world today. Will they follow through with what they are saying? The first Bush, George H. Bush, he ran for president in 1988 and he won he ran the year before. I think history has shown that he was a good president. Um, you think of how he got us in and out of the Gulf War without getting mired down there long term. But George H. Bush, number, number 41, I think it is, he didn't get a second term. You know, a number of reasons for these sort of things, but you know what one of the big ones is? Do you remember what he famously said during his campaign? Read my lips, no new taxes. And then as president, what did he do? 
He raised taxes. And I don't think people could ever quite forgive him for that. People don't like it when talk and actions don't line up. And, and so we ask ourselves a critical question. A question not just to throw out there to other people, but for us who hear Jesus' words quite often, am I putting those words into practice in my life? What is the Father's will that we're called to practice? Well, it's summarized in the Ten Commandments given on Mount Sinai long ago. We read them this morning, and and Jesus is interpreting that law in his Sermon on the Mount, saying, here's what God's will, his commandments, are in light of me, in light of my coming and arrival on earth. And Jesus says stuff, remember back to the beginning of our study, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful. And as believers who profess Jesus, these words, these values, they're on our lips. Does our life reflect that? What would your kids say? What would your spouse say? What would your fellow church members say? What would your closest friends say? Something else famously on the lips of Jesus' disciples, because Jesus taught this, as God did back in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor. And more than that, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, that includes not just your friendly, likable neighbors who are easy to love. He says, he goes so far to say, love your enemies. And in this day and age where so much has changed in these 15 years after 9-11, and we think about the politics, and we think about refugees, we think about Muslim Americans and Muslims around the world, the foreigner in our land, race, the walk and talk of Christians align? Do they match up? What would our neighbors say about that? What would... citizens of this country say as they look at those who profess the name of Jesus on this one. Jesus says, uh, store up treasures in heaven. And we think, how am I doing there? One, one good way to evaluate that is to say, what, what am I doing with my earthly resources? Uh, how is it going with my tithes and offerings? And this is a good time of year to, to think about that as the church comes out of the summer months where uh, giving is usually lean in all churches with people going on vacation. And we ask, what am I investing in? And Jesus says, a big one in the Sermon Mount, do not worry. Am I walking the talk? Or am I pulling a George H. Bush on this one? Knowing and saying... I don't have to worry about tomorrow with my mind, with my lips, but my actions are showing something quite different. I very purposefully am saying that we'll want to walk the talk because the reality is we fail. Christ's words, our actions 
do not always match up. They match up far less than we want them to. But for those who love the Lord, it grieves us when it doesn't match up. And, and that's, that's how we can know we're building on the rock despite failing to practice Jesus' words as we should. Those who are the wise man grieve about their sin. We repent. We go to the cross where Jesus bled and died to forgive us when we blow it. We ask, we seek, we knock for the Holy Spirit to fill us with new life so that these words of Jesus and our lives, our actions, line up better and better. We don't live perfectly for the Lord in this life, but we trust as our lives go on that there is progress, that there is growth, a closer walk. We'll desire that if we've entered through the narrow gate. You'll be working hard and you'll be praying hard for that. That will be evident in the wise man building his house on the rock. Second this morning, if you're building on the rock, you will withstand the storms. You'll withstand the storms. The rain came down, right? The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against this house. This might especially be talking about the end-time judgment of God. And often judgment in the Bible and in Bible times, is talked about as a storm and churning waters. Jesus tells us that when he returns, time and history as we know it will come to a close. Uh, we read about a great white throne judgment, and that on that day each person will have to give account for their life. Later in the book of Matthew, Jesus says all of mankind then at the judgment will be separated. Like back then, a shepherd separated the sheep from the goats. Uh, the sheep will be on his right, the goats on his left. The righteous will go to eternal life, the rest to eternal punishment. This morning, you can be assured that if you're building on the rock you'll withstand that most ultimate of storms, the final judgment, you'll be received into heaven. But the foolish person who does not put into practice the words of Jesus, who builds his life on the sand, the Bible says, they won't make it through that storm. That's worth stopping to think about. I think the average person tends to not look too much beyond what's in front of their face. But the wise person makes plans for the future, plans for college, career, savings, and all the rest. But you know what? The wisest person of all thinks even bigger than that in terms of planning and future. Because this life will end. Each of us will either die or Jesus may return in our lifetime. Well, what then? Well, the Bible says a storm's coming for those who have not planned for that reality. But all who have made certain that they're building their lives on the rock now, the promise is that they will not fall. They're also 
rains and winds that beat against us in this life. Jesus' disciples are not immune to hardship. Our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount has been called Living Your Blessed Life Now. And the blessed life includes storms and trials of all things. And so we're not surprised by hardship as Christians. We're not surprised about it at all. Whether it's challenges to our faith out there in society, whether it's more personal suffering. In fact, you know, for the wise person, it would be more a rare occurrence to not be experiencing any trial in your life at any given time. That would be the rare thing for the believer. It's par for the course for Christians. John Calvin once said, true piety is not fully distinguished from its counterfeit until it comes to trial. In other words, God uses storms somehow for our good. Sometimes you can see that right away. A lot of times you can't see that right away when you're in the midst of it. Sometimes you might not see how God used it for your good for many years. Uh, Sometimes maybe you'll never in this life get how God used this or that for your good. But we trust what God's Word says on this. Though the storms will come, we will not fall. You can't be shaken if you're living on the rock, as Psalm 62, 2 says. And Jesus says to each one of us, if you're his child this morning, and maybe you're going through some very hard times, he says, nothing can snatch you out of my hands. You'll make it to the end to meet Jesus face to face. You'll walk through heaven's gate. You'll enter into a heavenly mansion. It will all be worth it. Finally this morning, the person building on the rock will invite Jesus into their home. The rock we've been talking about is Jesus, right? That's who the wise person builds their life on. We're starting this evening series on prayer tonight. One of the great prayers in the New Testament is in Ephesians 3. In the middle of that prayer, Paul prays that Jesus would dwell in the hearts of the Ephesians through faith. And that's the ultimate prayer. It's the ultimate invitation that Jesus would dwell in our hearts, that our heart would become Christ's home. The Sermon on the Mount ends, doesn't end with that parable of the the wise and foolish builder, but it ends with a comment. And it tells us that the people were amazed at Jesus, that they saw in, in a Authority in him, unlike any authority in the, the teachers around them. So there's something about Jesus that goes beyond his teaching. There's something about Jesus that goes beyond living like he did, beyond living a good life. It's about the person of Jesus. We're called to be in a relationship with Jesus, to put our trust in him. And when we build with Jesus, We will stand strong and secure. We'll be like spiritual skyscrapers. Nothing will ever be able to take us out. We'll be a monument 
for all to see God's glory will reach all the way to heaven. Psalm 23 has the promise of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And it's talking about the promise of eternal life in heaven. In Jesus' atoning work, he earned that house for us that will dwell in forever. And when we have Jesus in our homes, our hearts now, the promises that will dwell in his house forever. Yes, as a church, we want to teach what Jesus taught. We want to teach God's work. Yes, as a church, we want to practice what Jesus taught and did. But there's even more than that. We want to know Jesus himself. That is what it's about. That is what we're here for. You know, these ministries for our kids are starting today. We've got children's church for the littlest ones during the service, Sunday school, catechism, I think of asylum and the gathering too. Our church doesn't do this to just stuff more biblical information into our kids. We don't do this to just make them better citizens or something. It's about knowing Jesus. That's the goal, the formation of hearts. Preaching and worship is so important. You know that we value that as a church. But to be in a smaller, more intimate group like these classes and these groups that we have for our kids, you know, that's where God's Word comes and works often in very special ways. That's where God's word can be brought right into the hearts of our kids. And it's where kids can give their hearts to Jesus, maybe for the very first time and more and more. And I'd really encourage you as parents, as you think about all that, make attending Sunday school and catechism, make it a priority for your family. Every single time, it's an opportunity for your son, your daughter, to become a wise person and to set that trajectory for his or her whole life. Teachers, their names were listed for Sunday school. We have catechism teachers, the youth group volunteers. Teach them the word. Show them how to do the will of the Father. Be an example to them. But give them Jesus most of all. Give them Jesus. Pray that Jesus would enter their hearts. With Jesus in our hearts, then we can walk the talk. With Jesus in our hearts, then we will withstand the storms. What more could you possibly want for your kids than that. What more could we possibly want together as a church for our covenant children? Jesus in our hearts, that's what we want at Faith Church. Jesus is who it's about. He's the one we're amazed at. He has authority. He is God in the flesh. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. And he is our rock. Amen.